Amen. I'd like, like to start by um, telling you a story, a story about a pen. Now, not any particular pen, but this specific pen. Uh, this pen is a Mont Blanc, piston-filled, Meisterstuck 149 fountain pen. Uh, it is the choice of pen for the most famous people in the world, presidents, Prime Ministers, even Popes, use this pen. It is a valuable and very precious pen. And uh, this particular pen that I have here uh, used to uh, belong to a friend of mine, Simon. Now, I have uh, knew Simon for uh, just the last year because he lived on the same street as I live in, uh, in Clapham. And he lived in a a little flat, uh, and he lived in this flat for just a year because it was the last year of his life. Uh, Simon died back in June, just a few months ago, uh, age 60, and he died from cancer. And this pen, if you like, it is, for me, a a sort of a visual reminder of what Simon came to recognise over the last year of his life. And really, it's the answer to our question today. Our question today, what does God think about you? What does God think about you? Answer, God thinks that you are deeply precious, that you're deeply valuable, more precious, more valuable even than a Meisterstück 149 fountain pen. That is what Simon came to realize over the last year, but it's certainly not what he always thought. Simon had a a high-flying education and then a high-flying career. In fact, his life was pretty high-flying. There's a story uh, about him in in the past where he went to three uh, just sort of super, super high-society parties all in the space of just 24 hours. Uh, Three high-society parties, and what made it even more high-flying was that one of those parties was in London, uh, one was in Paris, and one was in New York. He was quite literally a high-flying man. Uh, And in his high-flying life, his life increasingly became fairly wild as well, in all sorts of ways, with all sorts of ensuing challenges and complications. And having lived and worked out in the Far East, just before the pandemic hit, he moved back to the UK, and very soon after he moved back to the UK, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so as we met, we um, got to chat in his little flat, and we chatted about his life and all that had happened in his life and all the excitements in it. But we also chatted about the challenge that lay before him with his diagnosis of terminal cancer. And the biggest question for Simon that was there deep, deep down in his heart was very simple. Does God really love me? Does God really love me when he knows everything about me, including all the mess, all the stuff, all the things I regret, all the things I'm ashamed of. Does he really love me when I've lived my life, so much of it just hiding from God? Now that's Simon, but I think actually, if we're honest, all of us, we have pretty similar thoughts going on inside of us. Does God really love me if he knows all about me? In fact, you know the, um, the children's game, hide and seek? You know, it's a brilliant party game for, for five-year-olds or indeed for 55-year-olds. But also, hide and seek, I would say it is a great summary of the history of the human race. The history of the human race is a game of hide and seek. 
Just have a look at verse 8 in our reading. Verse 8, it says this. It's coming up on the screen. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? They hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve, they hide from God in the Garden of Eden, and we're all the same. We follow in their mold. We're all hiders. We hide from God. Simon hid from God in his wild living. Others might hide from God in their respectable living. But the truth is, the detail will be different for all of us, but we all hide. Now, look at why Adam and Eve end up hiding. I wonder if you notice this. It's not as, why did they end up hiding? The reason for it is not that they suddenly doubt God's existence. That's not the big thing for them. They don't suddenly go, I don't think God exists anymore. It's not they doubt God's existence. No, they doubt God's character. God's a spoil sport. That's sort of the tenor of the first few verses of the reading. You know, God is not a good, nice God if he stops you eating from this one tree in the middle of the garden. Now, now I don't know if you can relate to that, doubting God's character. But certainly for me, for me, when I was a teenager, that was right where I was. I doubted God's character. I thought God was a killjoy. I wasn't sure if God existed or not, but if he did, I was quite sure he wasn't a good, nice God because he seemed to be out to kill my joy. He seemed to be out to spoil my fun. He seemed to be out to place all kinds of restrictions on me that I didn't want to be held to. That's what I thought of God. And yet look at what the reality is. Actually, everything was available to Adam and Eve. Everything. There's a wide permission So verse 2, the woman says, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. This wide permission. And just one thing off limits. Next verse, verse 3. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. So there's this wide permission. And there's a very narrow, very small, one tree prohibition. And here's the question. What is this one tree that is prohibited? What is it signifying? What was this small prohibition that that seemed to be apparently killing their joy? Well, it wasn't God saying, no, you're not allowed money. It wasn't God saying, no, you're not allowed sex. It wasn't God saying, no, you're not allowed laughter, you're not allowed fun. It wasn't that. No, the snake says the one thing that's prohibited, what is forbidden, it's to be like God. That's the one thing forbidden, to be like God. Look at verse 5. It says, For God knows that when you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. They'll know good and evil in the sense of deciding for themselves what is good, what is evil, because they put themselves in the place of God. You see, why do you or I, why do we all hide from God? Ultimately, it's because we want to be like God. We want to be in charge. We want things to revolve around us. We want to take the place of God. I do and you do. Uh, Listen to what it used to say on the packaging of a Burger King Whopper a few years ago. Okay, let me quote it. This is what it said on a Burger King Whopper wrapping paper a few years ago. It says, you have the right to have this sandwich just the way you want it, exactly when you want it. Because on the menu of life, you are today's special. And tomorrow's. And the day after. Yes, that's right. We may be the king, Burger King. But you, my friend, are the almighty ruler. Now, it's tongue-in-cheek, but it is blatantly tapping into that idea that we all want to take the place of God, don't we? 
We all want to take God's place. We want to decide what's right, what's wrong, what's best for us, even when it comes to our burgers. Now, back in Genesis chapter 2, the previous chapter, we read how the man and the woman, they were both naked and they uh, felt no shame. But here in Genesis 3, we discover there is both huge guilt and huge shame, and they cover themselves with fig leaves. They hide from God. In the last verse of our reading, Adam says to God, he says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So I hid. And all of us, we will probably know something of that feeling. When we've mucked up, when we've done things wrong, those feelings of guilt even years or decades after the incident, it eats away at us and we want to cover things up. We want to cover the situation with fig leaves. We want to hide. We've got four children and at least I think three of them, if not all of them, there have been some point in their growing up, there's been some point in their life where there's been a period of time when it, whenever we've had to um, tell them off because they've done something wrong, immediately after telling them off, They've run off to their bedroom and they've hidden under the duvet. There's that innate sense in all of us that when it's suddenly recognized that we've done something wrong, we want to hide. Now, as 21st century adults, we may not use fig leaves or duvets, but we all still hide. All of us do. We hide things with our good behavior or indeed we hide things with our bad behavior. We hide things by plowing all our energies into being hyper busy. We hide things with manic exercise or controlling our weight or consuming alcohol or giving to charity or whatever else it might be. We hide, Adam and Eve hide, Simon hides, you hide, I hide, we all hide from God. But while we hide, the history of the human race is that God seeks. God seeks. He seeks after Adam and Eve, and he seeks after you and me. God goes out in love into the garden, seeking Adam and Eve, calling out to them, verse 9, where are you? And God has gone out in love too into this world, seeking you and me, each one of us. Jesus Christ, he is the ultimate expression of God going out into the world in love, calling out to each one of us, where are you? Come back, stop hiding, I love you. I wonder if you remember what took place on the cross as Jesus died. Jesus died, and either side of him were two criminals. Two criminals being crucified either side of him. And one of those criminals, they hurled insults at Jesus. He just hurled insults at him. But the other criminal, as he died on the cross, he looked across at Jesus, and he was in awe of Jesus. And this criminal, in the last minutes of his life, he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, Jesus answered him with the most staggering words. Jesus replied to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now remember my friend Simon. Simon and I read that incident in the Bible as Jesus died with the two criminals about a month before he died. Uh, he was getting weaker 
We'd had lots and lots of chats over the preceding months about all the big questions of life. And as we met that day and as we talked, I said something like this to Simon. I said to him this. I said, Simon, you may feel like you don't have anything to offer God. You may not be a criminal like this guy on the cross, but you know you've done things wrong, just as we all have. But know this, Simon. Simon, you cannot have less to offer Jesus than this criminal did. You can't have less to offer than this criminal, and yet you can say to Jesus, King Jesus, remember me, and Jesus will. Jesus loves you. No matter what has gone on in the past, no matter all the ways that you've been hiding from him, Jesus loves you. But I went on and I said, Simon, Simon, what you need to recognize, what you need to recognize is not only do you not have less to offer Jesus than this criminal, but actually also you don't have any more to offer Jesus than this criminal. And nor do I as a vicar. The only reason that any one of us can be accepted by God is not because of anything good in us, but simply because we are trusting in Jesus, the one who has done nothing wrong and yet loves us so much that he died for us in our place, the one who was rejected on the cross to pay the price for all our rejection of him. Our rejection as we hide from him. And so there the two of us sat. In Simon's little flat on our street in Clapham. And we prayed. I prayed. And then Simon prayed. And he prayed a simple prayer to Jesus, saying, Sorry. Sorry for hiding from him. Saying, Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for, for dying for me. Thank you for seeking me. And then saying, Please, please come and be king of my life. As it were, Simon simply prayed, King Jesus, remember me. And just one month after Simon prayed that prayer to Jesus, Jesus did say to Simon those words that he said on the cross to the criminal, Simon, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. On that day in June this year, as Simon died. So here's our question today. What does God think about you? What does God think about you? You see, despite all your hiding, despite all my hiding, God doesn't see you as some sort of Burger King rapper, just to be discarded, given up on, thrown away. He could quite rightly for all our hiding, but he doesn't see us like that. Now God sees us like a miser stuck, 149 fountain pen, to be deeply valued and treasured and loved. Indeed, because you and I, because we are so precious to God, despite the fact that we put ourselves where only God deserves, at the center of everything, despite that, in Jesus, God put himself where we all deserve, on the cross. He was willing to go to his death to seek us who had hidden ourselves from him. When Simon died, his uh, close living relative uh, wrote to me after the funeral. And she wrote this. She said, um, I know Simon 
would wish me to give you something of his to remember him by. And then she talked about how she was so thankful and how it was so wonderful that Simon had, and I quote, he had found faith and peace and acceptance in those last months of his life. And with this card was the gift of Simon's precious pen. And you know, since that day, I use this pen pretty much daily. I keep a, a prayer journal. I write my prayers to God. Basically, if I try and sort of just pray to God, just sort of in my head, just speaking them as it were in my head, I just find myself daydreaming and not really praying. So what I have to do is I have to write my prayers to God. And I've got a prayer journal. And each day, I use this pen to write my prayers. Because each day, it is an amazing visual reminder of the love of God. It's an amazing visual reminder of the transforming power of God that I saw in Simon's life and indeed I've seen in my own life too. Now, I don't know if you have played hide and seek recently, uh, but sometimes in our family, when, um, when the hider can't be found, uh, what we do is we, we, we call out to them and we say, give us a clue, give us a clue. We can't find you. Where are you? Give us a clue. And what happens is the hider in our house, I don't know how you do it in your house, but in our house, what happens if we shout, make a noise, give us a clue, the hider will go, ee, 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 or oh, 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 uh, like that. It's, it's very subtle. Now, uh, when our children were little, um, they weren't brilliant hiders, and you knew exactly where they were. You know, they were behind the curtain or whatever, and you could see their feet poking out, and they were giggling or whatever it was. But um, I'd sort of try and make the, the, you know, build the suspense in the game of hide-and-seek and pretend I didn't know where they were for a bit. You know the idea. And um, so I'd be going around the room going, where on earth have they gone? And, you know, you'd be giggling, emanating from behind the curtain. And then I'd go, where are they? You know, give us a clue. And they'd be, ee, 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 giggle, giggle, giggle from behind the curtain. Now... The parallel isn't exactly totally exact. But I reckon some here today, you've been hiding from God. You know you have. And God knows where you are. Of course he does. He's God, just as I knew where my children were, hiding behind the curtain. But God wants a relationship with you. And he's proved his love for you. You're so precious to him that in Christ he went to his death on a cross. And God is calling out to you, where are you? Just as he called out to Adam and Eve in the garden. And for some here, whether you're in the last months of your life like Simon, or whether you've got 70, 80, 90 more years of life left, some of you are just beginning to think, maybe, maybe I might, as it were, take a peek from behind the curtain. Maybe I might just make a, a little noise. ee, ee. I might open myself up to being found by God. Now, what might that look like? Practically, what might that look like to take a little peek, to make a little noise? What might it look like for you? It might like, look like coming on Alpha that Josh was talking about in the notices. It might be that coming on Alpha, that course would be a great way just to begin to come out of your hiding place and explore the claims of Christianity for yourself. But it may be, much like Simon did, it may be that you're saying, I want to be found by God now. I want to find, just as Simon did, I want to find faith and peace and acceptance from God now. 
And I know that God, God has been calling me. God has been seeking me from my hiding. And I see that God, he loves me, that I'm so precious and so valuable to him. And you're saying today, today, just like Simon prayed a few months ago, just like I prayed 28 odd years ago, just like the criminal on the cross said to Jesus, today, you're saying, I want to say to Jesus, King Jesus, remember me. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Just going to take a moment now. And if you would like to respond to the God who seeks you, I'm going to pray a prayer. And you might like to just echo that prayer in your heart as I prayed. It's going to be a prayer similar to the one Simon prayed a few months ago. A prayer saying simply to God, sorry and thank you and please, saying, King Jesus, remember me. So let's pray. I'm going to lead us in prayer and you might like to echo it in your heart. Let's pray. King Jesus, sorry. Sorry that I've been hiding from you. And please forgive me for living life, taking your place, acting as though I think I'm God when I'm not. King Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you've been seeking me. Thank you that you came into this world and you showed me how valuable and precious I am to you. Thank you that you went to the cross in my place. And King Jesus, remember me. Jesus, please come into my life by your spirit. Please assure me that I have peace with you. And Jesus, remember me. Remember me not just in life, but in death. Thank you that you give the gift of eternal life, a life with you both now and beyond death. King Jesus, I pray this prayer to you. Amen.